everyone, and welcome to Keeping Them Safe. This is Sharon Doty, your host on this podcast, where we bring to you all that you need to know to create an environment where children are safe from sexual predators. We are here in this effort to create safe environments for kids and for the adults who interact with them. So keeping them safe is dedicated to primary prevention of child sexual abuse, and that means we want to prevent it from ever happening. We understand and appreciate the extraordinary effort that is made by those who work with children who are survivors of abuse. We understand very well what it takes for a child to recover from having been assaulted sexually by someone they thought they cared about them someone that said they cared about them. We understand that completely and we appreciate and are extraordinarily grateful for those who've dedicated their lives to empowering those children and young adults to regain their own personal power and live a powerful life outside, out from under the shadow of the abuse they suffered. And we hope that no child ever has to suffer that again. So we work in this environment, in this arena, in this effort to create an environment where there's no opportunity for that abuse to occur. That requires for you and me to become proficient, to become experts, to become wise in identifying risky behaviors and intervening and interrupting those risky behaviors. So the first job we always have is then figuring out what are those risky behaviors. And in the research we did to create this program some 25 years ago, a component of the research conducted was interviews with about 100 convicted predators. And again, we didn't ask them, what did you do to kids? We already knew that. We asked them, how did you gain access to children in a way that allowed you to prey on them when their parents, their guardians, their grandparents were in the vicinity, in the neighborhood, part of the environment, and you were able to trap those children and entrap those children right under the nose of those that care about them. So we asked them, how did you do that? How did you gain access to those children? How did you become so skilled at preying on them? And how could we take that information and bring it to you as a parent, a guardian, a grandparent, someone who truly cares about children and protecting them and offer them to you as ways of observing and intervening and interrupting in your environment that will create a safer environment for all your children. One of the things we know about learning something new or becoming proficient is that you have to revisit it over and over and over and over again. It's uh, sort of like that uh, saying on the t-shirts that you can buy at Carnegie Hall that say, how do you get to Carnegie Hall on the front? On the back, it says practice, practice, practice. But you have to practice the right thing. So 
we began a conversation with you about some of the behavioral characteristics. Today, we're going to begin to reinforce those behavioral characteristics and speak about some additional ones over the next few weeks. But we're going to begin to remind ourselves of the initial conversations that we had and look to see, okay, now that we've thought about that a bit, how do we expand on that? How do we become proficient at that? How do we see that automatically like we do when we're driving a car and we see somebody pulling over into our lane and we know immediately there's a risk of harm. We know immediately that we need to pay attention, to take diversive action, to keep ourselves safe from a crash. How do we become so proficient with these behavioral characteristics of adults that there's that kind of automatic response to them And we are able to identify and to interrupt those behaviors as soon as they arise. Now, I'm sure if you've been participating in this podcast for a while, that there are certain things that struck you immediately that you've grabbed onto and you're able to incorporate into your thinking and your observations on a daily basis. There are others that we mentioned that are not so easily grasped or held on to. So one of the things this podcast intends to do is to revisit the warning signs, the behavioral characteristics of adults who are at risk of harm to children over and over again and to bring a different light each time, a different focus each time so that we can begin to assimilate this information into our thinking in such a way that it is automatically. You know, I'm sure if you've listened to the podcast, there are one or more of the warning signs uh, that risk adults exhibit that you could identify. And some of you may even be becoming aware of your own interactions with children and bringing to life the open concept that we have that our interactions with children are observable, proper, effortless, and non-sexual, that we maintain an open, interactive relationship with children. And it's important to interrupt adults who seem to always be alone with children or who seem to exhibit one or two of the warning signs. So we're going to talk today, we're going to begin to talk today a little bit more about always wants to be alone with children. That is one that is difficult sometimes to see. It's difficult to sometimes to distinguish. And remember, hearing the warning signs or hearing these behavioral characteristics once isn't enough. It's not enough for us to be able to absorb them into the background of our thinking. It's not enough for them to become a filter through which we see the actions of adults who engage with our children. It takes repetition and practice to be someone who can see and intervene in situations that raise concerns about the potential safety of children. I'm reminded every time I think of that, of what it takes for children, including us, to learn their multiplication tables. First, you have to repeat them over and over and over again. It's the only way that you can 
engage with the multiplication tables in a way that makes them useful for you. So, and you do that in a way that has you automatically multiply. When I say, we're going to meet three times a week for the next five weeks, you already know that's 15 times. And I didn't ask you, how many times is that? It's automatic. And it's only automatic because of the repetition and the practice that came into play when you were confronted with multiplication tables. So just knowing is not enough. And knowing even your multiplication tables is not enough. If you don't take action to fulfill on something, then it won't matter whether you know it or not. So how do we take what we learn in the podcast and create safer environments? If we just take that very first warning sign I mentioned a while ago, always wants to be alone with children, we can see that we can begin immediately. So what are some specific things that we could do immediately to make the physical environment safer and to interrupt any attempt to always seclude children? Well, the first thing is we can... Make sure that anytime our children are meeting with other adults, they are in an environment where they can be observed. So glass doors or glass windows indoors uh, and not allowing people to cover that with artwork or other obstructions. Um, One teacher told me or principal told me that she had During the summer, she had glass, solid glass doors put on all the classrooms in her elementary school. And within the second week of school, some of the teachers had covered the doors completely with artwork. And when she asked them what they were doing, they said, well, the children get distracted by people walking up and down the halls. So I just covered the door so that they're not always looking up and looking out. And when the principal pointed out to them that the point of having those doors was for them to be observable, they'd never even considered that that was why the glass doors were there or how they could actually honor that and still take care of the issue they have with their kids who want to look out the door when somebody's walking by. They see the movement and they look out the door. And the principal simply said to them, well, why don't you turn their desks around so that their back is to the door? I mean, you're the one who then has to deal with being distracted by people walking by and you can have your attention on the students. Simple solutions, but solutions that people don't think about because they have their eye on the initial issue they're dealing with, which is children being distracted by others walking by. So what happened was the teacher turned the desks around and covered the bottom half of the door with artwork. The children couldn't see out, but anyone who walked by could see the teacher. And that's what's critical. What's critical is to see the adult. So that's one of the ways that we can 
check out the physical environment and make it safer that interrupts any attempt to seclude children or any concern that children are being secluded. Um, another is with regard to schools and organizations, big brothers and big sisters, um, boys and girls clubs, wide organizations, is to set up the school programs or any one-on-one -on -one conversations with staff or volunteers in any kind of an organization to set up those conversations in more open or public portions of the facility. Um, meet with students to work on tutoring in the library after school. Meet in the computer lab where other students are working. Meet with children and young people in a location where you can be seen. And if you can't, if it's a private conversation that must occur, then tell someone in the administration or someone else in the building that it's happening. Sit in a place where you can be seen at the door as if someone walks by and ask them to drop in to visit. Keep a public calendar of those one-on-one -on -one appointments with children and young people and always encourage people Others, other adults in the environment, teachers, counselors, coaches, youth ministers, clergy, to come by and drop in in meetings that you're having after hours with a student. Encourage your adults in the environment to do those kinds of things. Require parents or other adults, responsible adults, to be present any time a staff member or a volunteer is meeting alone with a young person. And if that interaction is of a confidential nature, make sure it takes place in a location that is open and allows for the physical interaction to be observable. You know, that is a big problem. We think we have to meet alone in a closed environment to have a confidential conversation. And we don't. We actually can meet in a secluded, a secure facility, in a secure environment with a glass door. Remember, it's not important that the person you're speaking with, the person who came to you for counseling, the person who is seeking the confidential conversation or communication. It isn't important that they be seen. It's important that the adult be seen. Um, also, you know, we've become very cognizant of dealing with human resources issues with at least two people in the room. If you're going to terminate someone, you're going to have a termination conversation with someone or even often when you are having a conversation to hire someone, there are two people in the room. And the reason there are two people in the room is to create that environment where there is someone else who is present who can vouch for what was said, what was communicated, and what is expected. Bringing that same commitment to our interactions with children will assist us in creating safer environments for all of our children. And any time that, that an adult 
needs to be alone with the child uh, completing a task, for example. I recommend that you as an adult give the child clear instructions and then leave them alone to complete their duties and let someone else know they're doing that. If we begin to think through this filter of one of the warning signs is adults who always want to be alone with children, always seclude themselves with children in a place where others cannot observe. And we start to look at, well, how can we make observation possible? And even in um, circumstances where it's necessary, maintain confidentialities, then there are countless ways we can work together to establish policies and practices to find unique and creative ways that eliminate any opportunity for a potential predator to always be alone with children. And listen, remember, I said always wants to be alone with children. Sometimes we find ourselves in a position where we are alone with children inadvertently, unintentionally. It happens. We're not talking about those situations. We're talking about that adult who cultivates an environment where they are always alone with children. So we have to always have our eye on how this is going. Is this a one-time situation? Is this a, uh, an unusual occurrence that we're dealing with? Or is this someone who seems to cultivate and create an environment where children can be secluded with them? We have to look for ways to observe and intervene when something seems off to us also. You see, policies and practice just, just aren't enough. We also need observation and appropriate action. You know, there's a history in the world, if you will, of extraordinarily powerful policies and procedures being drafted, written, printed, sometimes in fancy, fancy binders, and then set on a shelf and never opened. If that's what happens, then our children are no more safe than if there were no policies and practices in place. It requires us to not only have policies and practices, but to observe and take appropriate action. And, you know, I mean, observation is simple. It's just not easy. The definition of to observe is to see, watch, perceive, or notice. And that part is easy enough. We have our eyes open. We can see what's happening around us. However, the important part for our purposes is to notice. Observing adults who interact with our children means paying attention to the little things. It means noticing when something just doesn't seem right to you and refusing to let it go because of who it is or what you think you know about the adult involved or you thinking you've got no right to speak up. Observing means paying attention then attending to what you see in a way that promotes a safe environment. Observing 
means not letting it go. Observing means noticing and then taking the next step. See, that appropriate action that's required can include a wide variety of things. We talked a little bit ago about a teacher or principal who replaced all the classroom doors in her school with solid glass storm doors. That's an appropriate action. And it is one thing you could do. So that is um, some things only require a gentle nudge from you to interrupt the flow. You might see someone who's secluding a child in a way that makes you uncomfortable. Perhaps all there is to do is join them and make sure there are two adults there at the time. Other situations might require more drastic or dramatic action. You might need to remind the adults involved of the standards that are part of the policies and practices. And then you might want to stop and look with them to see how to make sure the situation is addressed in a way that promotes a safe environment. You might even have to bring the matter to the attention of supervisors or someone else in in administration or in authority in the organization or area in order to make sure the behavior is addressed and altered. See, the point for all of us in this conversation is that knowing that one of the warning signs is people who always want to be alone with children is only the first step. Knowing that, having a list of those, I have a magnet that can go on your refrigerator that has a list of these uh, potentially risky adult behaviors. Knowing those isn't going to protect any children. If we're going to protect our children from predators, we have to make those warning signs the foundation of our efforts. We have to be so engaged with the warning signs and know them so well that they are part of our thinking, that they are the filter through which we observe all the other adults in our children's environment. And then we have to be willing to take action to create safer environments for all children. Thank you for being with me today. I appreciate that you take time because of your commitment to a safer environment for children. We are here to keep them safe, to create an environment where our children and those around us are always safe from the adults who might wish them harm. Again, thank you for being with us. We hope you'll join us again and invite others to participate in our podcast. My name is Sharon Doty. You can reach me at swdkeepingthemsafe at gmail.com or send me a message or a call to 918-625-6079. Thanks for being with us. We look forward to our next conversation.